0: We're gonna talk about exciting things. Everybody wants to know secrets. That's one thing I've learned. Everybody's always like, what's the secret? What's the secret? There's that book. Has anybody ever read the book, The Secret? watched it. Isn't it Rhonda Byrne or something? That book went crazy in LA. Everybody was reading that book for a while. So, starting on this concept of insider secrets, millionaire secrets. I was actually listening yesterday. I highly recommend listen. If you guys are on my Snapchat, you can see yesterday I spent all day pretty much in my room just um, reading, kind of catching up on stuff for the New Year's. And I was listening to Warren Buffett. He has a, there's a new couple interviews. I always watch for the new YouTube interviews and he has one on, it's relatively recent. And of course he's the, the great billionaire investor and he was given all kinds of quote unquote secrets, although I don't know that most people perceive them as secrets, but I was also listening to uh, a guy, well I was listening to a few people and they were talking about research done, a Harvard professor, I forget what his name was, I think I wrote it down, Branfield or something, um, And they were basically charting millionaires over the last 20 to 50 years. And there's a good book called The Millionaire Next Door. Some of you have probably read it. There's The Millionaire Next Door and there's The Millionaire Mind. I think those are the two books based on that research. What do you guys? I'm thinking a title. Okay. But do you need help? Yeah. Let me see it. What do you have? Secrets, how about, Secrets, Millionaires Rarely Share or something like that, 10 Secrets Millionaires Rarely Share. So in this book, in this study, The Millionaire Mind and The Millionaire Next Door, it goes through all these popular misconceptions about people who make money, self-made millionaires. Some of the misconceptions are you know, they're all flashy entrepreneurial activities. We'll talk about these later. Um, how they save, how they spend, whether they're married or unmarried. It's a pretty interesting book. It's pretty exhaustive. It's, it's, it's a good one. You'll like it. And the main thing that I thought was interesting is how counterintuitive most of this stuff is. So for each of you, as you're trying to figure out what it is that's going to make you let's just call it financially independent. It doesn't necessarily have to be wealthy. Uh, you have to kind of go against your natural gut feeling. So your gut feeling is gonna tell you to go this way. A lot of the times, what makes people millionaires is they go that way. And we all like to think that we're part of the group going the right way, but you can just check your bank account. That's the best way to know. For those of you who are older, if your bank account is struggling or has been struggling for a long time, you're going to have to try something completely different. And for those of you who know who Joel Salatin is, Joel Salatin, my first mentor when I was 19 years old. Hello, everybody, on Meerkat and Periscope. He used to tell me there's no change without a change in routine. So many people want change in their life, but let me try sticking this over here. I like that better for some reason. Let's see here. Ding ding ding. Ding ding ding. Ding ding ding. You'll need to adjust these a little bit, you guys can see. So, let's go through 10 things. That's what we're gonna do today. 10 counterintuitive principles that millionaires follow and most of us never learned. So this is part of this series. I call it, what I wish they had taught me in school. What I wish they had taught us in school, right? Everybody regrets their, whoa. Sorry, hold on here. Okay, that was weird. There we go. You gotta line up these Periscope and Meerkat, so. Okay, now we're good. So, what are the 10 rules? I'm gonna go through the 10 rules as quick as I can. Hopefully I'll get to all 10. I'm going to give away three uh, iPad minis. I've been doing those because they're good entrepreneur tools, you can also use them to read books. And so this online seminar, you know, these 10 tools. So I was talking about that book, The Millionaire Next Door and how counterintuitive these. Some of these you've heard before, some of them you haven't. It'll be that simple. Some of them, if you've heard them before, then try to focus on how can you actually do them. A lot of people get tripped up. I go to these conferences and you see people, you hear people outside going, I already know that. And I always want to sneak in their conversation and be like, yeah, but are you doing it? Who cares what you know? You can know that the gym makes you healthy, but just head knowledge if you never go to the gym, right? So it's be, be very careful. Whenever people say they know, they usually don't. That's kind of my rule of of thumb, you know? Kind of like Henry Gracie, the jiu-jitsu black belt, always tells me, The more they talk, the faster they get tapped out, you know, the faster they lose for the most part. All right, so rule number one. Uh, So I was talking about industries, okay? It's the industry rule. So what statistically makes the most self-made millionaires in the United States? What industry? What type of work? Any guess? That's hairy. Somebody said, Ty, that's a big marker. It is a big marker. It makes it easier for you guys to read. Investing, sales, tech, financial, technology, investing. Now, I'm not talking about self-made billionaires. It's a different answer, actually. Self-made millionaires, okay? This talk is about What makes people millionaires? Cars, drugs. (laughs) No. The average drug dealer makes less than a McDonald's uh, manager. There's a good book on that. Construction, real estate, entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship's not an industry. Oil, online marketing, real estate. I'll tell you the specific answer according to the book The Millionaire Next Door, a 20-year exhaustive study of wealth creation in the United States. The answer is... Dry cleaning company. Dry cleaning. So, dry cleaning was one of. I think it was the number one. I'm sure it changes a little bit every year, but dry cleaning has created the most millionaires, self-made millionaires, not billionaires. Billionaires is a. Compl- We're not talking about billionaires today. We might learn from some billionaires, but that's not real estate. No. So real estate makes a good bit of self-made millionaires it does so see how counterintuitive that is somebody said i think bottled water no bottled water does not make many people millionaires it's more of a bottled water now has become a corporate conglomerate type thing where you have coca-cola and stuff doing it you know so be careful when you think you're gonna go into something because you think that's how you're gonna make a lot of money. It's not, do your research ahead of time. Now, along with this, okay? Along with this, you know what? Um, the other answer is that it takes, and I'll tell you why dry cleaning. It's oftentimes boring things that have less competition. You know, if everybody realized how much dry cleaning makes, then everybody would go start opening dry cleaning uh, businesses on every corner of the United States and then the profit would drop out because there would be too much supply for the demand. Basic economics. So, things that fly under the radar a lot of times make a lot of money. Even going to billionaires like Warren Buffett right now he just bought a airplane parts company for thir- I think he paid 38 billion dollars. Again, not a business that you traditionally would think about parts, you know, mechanical parts. So be careful of being sure you know what's going to make you a lot of money, uh, a lot of money, because it's oftentimes things like dry cleaning, things that are flying under the radar with less competition. All right. Number two, what are the 10 rules? That I wish they taught us at school that millionaires have learned and billionaires have learned. Okay? By the way, just a reminder I'm gonna give away three iPad minis at the end of this talk. So make sure you're taking notes because I'm gonna pick one random thing. It's not gonna be the most important thing I talk about, it's gonna be just random to see who pays the most attention overall. So, and then add me on Snapchat, which is my Ty Lopez one, because I'll give you a hint that'll help you. W- dramatically increase the odds you'll win. That's my Snapchat. I'll post it on my story. Okay, now, number two rule that I wish they would, that they had taught me, okay, is that it's called the duration rule. The timeline, you could call it. What is the average timeline it takes from somebody to start and somebody to become a millionaire in the United States, and it applies for most countries. Can you update that the Word doc there? So, what do you think? Let's take some guesses. Somebody said three years, ten years, five years, six to eight, ten, seven, five, six, ten, four, twenty, fifteen, two, one, twenty. All right. So we have all kinds of. Uh, The rest is exactly the same. Okay, so the answer is... Somebody said three months? Oh, that somebody said 100 years. Yeah, (laughs) in some way... So this is a trick question. Here's why it's a trick question. For the average person... Average person will become a millionaire in what duration? 100 years, okay? So if you don't know the rules of money... You will become a millionaire. You just probably will be too old or possibly in the grave before you realize that accomplishment. So the average person is gonna take 100 years. Now, that was the trick question. But the average millionaire who actually becomes a millionaire before they die, it took them, so the average self-made millionaire took approximately 12 to 20 years. Okay? So the average person never does it in their whole life. That's what I mean by 100 years. The average self made person is 12 to 20. Now, for those of you who are, here's, I'm gonna give you some good news and bad news. What age ranges do we have on here? Can you guys post your age, please? I wanna, I need, these are live calls, right? So I can adjust what I'm saying to the audience. So what's the, what's the range here? We got 43, 21, 30, 16, 42, 30, 19, 16, 21, 42, 18, 24, 38, 15, 37, 27, 22, 42, 53, 31 tomorrow, 14. All right, so you can see our range is anywhere. I think the youngest I've seen here is 14. Anna is 14 and I saw a few pe- some people 50s, did I see someone in their 60s? So we got people broad range. So here's the good news. If you are, oh here's a 13 year old. Thir- if you're 13, 12 to 20 years doesn't look so bad because 12 years would be 25, 20 years would be 32, or 30, you know, early 30s. If you're 45, you know, uh, 12 years doesn't look as good, in 20 years, looks like you're 65. So, the good news and the bad news is Mother Nature doesn't care about our chronology, our chronological time frame. It doesn't care if you're 50. It doesn't go, oh, you're 50? Well, you can get everything in one week. Now, the good news is if you are 50 or older, 40, whatever, you probably have a lot more momentum than somebody watching this who's 12. Hopefully, some of you don't. Somebody's 11, they said. Okay. So here's what I want to tell you, very important, that if you look here between this, the average person and the average person who actually does it, you know, you're know, you looking at 50 years. And a lot of people take about 50 years from when they get started to really reach some level of financial independence. So this is about being a millionaire. Let's not talk about, let's just say what if you lived a nice life, you made six figures, you made eight, ten grand a month, 100, 120000 a year. The average person is gonna take somewhere between this, and you see that in the world, you know, you see 40, 50 years, okay, from when they get started. So that means if you start at teenagers, a lot of people, most people don't really become financially independent until their 50s. I can tell you from personal experience. One of my first businesses, I've started many businesses. I'm kind of a mad scientist, experiment, uh, experimenter, and I started a financial planning. I used to work for GE Financial. It's one of my only times I ever worked for a corporation in my life. And then me and a business partner, John DeWall, we spun off our own company. We said, hey, we can do this on our own as entrepreneurs. And we started this company, uh, Legacy Life Group. Now we just abbreviated LLG. I, I don't own it anymore. I sold 50. When I moved from North Carolina back here to California, I sold John back my 50%. I let him have the whole company. So, but that company, I helped build it. Me and him were 50-50 partners, and we built this business, and we dealt with thousands. About five, 6,000 people became customers of one type or another, um, and we helped them do financial planning and manage money. And what I saw is this exact thing is true. Not only can I tell you that from that book, but I can tell you from my experience. Most people that are financially independent are seniors. They're over 50. What's the definition of a senior now? 55 or something? Yeah. So most of them are seniors. In fact, I'm going to throw another piece of trivia at you. This is going to blow your mind. Who, what group of people and age has the most money, has like, 70% 70% of all of America's wealth. Let's take a second for this. Ty, is it true you knew Ronnie Shirley before getting a famous tow truck driver? Yeah, Ronnie Shirley, we and him grew up together playing basketball. We won a state championship in North Carolina in basketball. He was my, one of my close friends. Now he's got a famous TV show. Somebody said, old white people. <laughs> That's what. Uh, old senior lady. So the answer is widows. Widows control most of the money in the United States outside of banks and hedge funds and stuff, but in terms of individuals. Why? Because women outlive men. The longer you live, and if you do it right, the more time you have for compounding interest to accumulate wealth. So you got all these 85-year-old women that have a crap load of money. Uh, they usually don't spend it. They just kind of sit on it. And when I worked there in finance for GE Financial, John McGilchrist, he was the CEO of GE Financial for the South where I lived at that time. And he told me he got started in business by just doing business just with widows because their husband died, they had all this cash, and they wanted to invest it safely. So again, another counterintuitive thing here. What this talk today is about is about number three. Based on this, number three, what I wish I learned in school, that self-made millionaires know, you know, I didn't grow up around, I don't think I ever met a millionaire till I was in my 20s pretty sure. I I mean, maybe I ran, oh actually my mom used to work, she was like, worked at a house, my mom was a single mom, she used to work for a lady who owned the San Diego paper newspaper, the Union Tribune. Their name was the v I remember it. I was about five and my mom took me to work with her one time at the house. She worked at the house and um, I got lost and they had an elevator and I got lost. I went to the wrong floor and it was just like a movie. I went into the wrong room and there was like stuffed lions from hunting and stuff and they found me. I was crying five, I couldn't find my way back. So I guess I did meet a millionaire when I was five or six. I never went back to that house, I remember. I remember I found the uh, kitchen and I was like, this is the biggest kitchen I've ever seen. But the third thing that I didn't learn growing up related to the last things is that there is a way to potentially cut the curve. Cut learning curve. So here's another question. What's the fastest billionaire ever made, self-made in history? Not counting inheriting money. Anybody know? It's a trivia question here. I'm throwing lots of trivia at you for the New Year's. Test your damn knowledge. Who has knowledge? People always call me the knowledge guy. I'm like, all right, well, let's see if you got any brains. Let's go. Who knows? Anybody? Yeah, but you're cheating. Rockefeller, Bill Zuckerberg, Snapchat guy, Pablo Escobar. Okay, we're talking about legally made money. We're not going to include Pablo Escobar in here. Somebody put Voldemort, Elon Musk, Ty Lopez. No, I'm not a billionaire. Sarah Blakely? No. Uber? Uber's pretty quick. The answer is the founder of Priceline. What's his name again? Jay Walker? Jay Walker, in one year, basically, uh, made a billion dollars, or even, I think, less than a year. Now, that's very rare, so don't count on that for your life. It's probably a -a once-in-a-century event, okay? But, 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 the span there you can see is kind of amazing. You got people that take 100 years, they die. You have people that take 12 to 20 years and you have people doing it in 10 months. Now some of that's luck, okay? I'm trying to pull up, I wanna pull up and see the exact amount of time. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, So, alright, we'll move on from that. How can you cut the learning curve? Because that's all you probably care about, right? Who cares if it takes this guy 10 months, this person 100? You want to know the shortest curve. So, there are uh, ways to cut the learning curve. Let me just put it that way. It is possible. Is there a way? And the answer is yes. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth here on this call. Some of you have the potential to become billionaires here. Some of you don't. Because to become a billionaire, you've got to have lots of things fall into place. And you have to also really want it. Most billionaires have to sacrifice some other stuff. Like they ain't gonna, you're not going to spend as much time with your friends and family if you want to be a billionaire. It's pretty much a fact. Okay, not that billionaires have to neglect their family. Steve Ballmer, he set up a way, he had an Excel spreadsheet, he could spend time with his family. He did pretty good, okay? So, but not everybody here has the will, desire, talent or interest to become a billionaire. Now, same thing with millionaires. Even a millionaire, not everybody here wants to become, but each of you, without a doubt, 2016 should be your New Year's resolution to achieve a level of financial independence you don't yet have. Why? Money is what? Money is options. So some of you don't have enough options in life. You're completely trapped. Even those of you making money, what what income ranges? How much is everybody making here a month? Okay, how much are you making a month? Can anybody say? 4,200, we always have wide varieties, 36,000 a month, six to seven grand, zero. 1,300, six grand a month, 50,000 a month, 15,000 a month, Trey is making. 600 pounds, a 16 year old is making a month. Eight to 12 grand, Jeremy's making. Somebody said a big fat zero you're making. 2,400 a month. Twenty-five thousand a month, 50, forty to fifty grand. Real estate entrepreneur says thirty-five hundred. Somebody says they're making they're broke. Who's making the most here on today's call? Just so I know what the upside is. Who's making the most? Anybody here making it? We got fifty thousand. Mo- I think is the most. Usually we'll have somebody making a million a month or a couple hundred thousand. Four thousand. Uh 10,000 a month Valerio somebody's making Tony's making 50,000 alright Mark Kuzmenko is making 100,000 a month 6,000 a month a 15 year old's making 2 grand a month, that's pretty good Uh, 6 grand a month 30,000 a month Michael's making 5,000 a month Darren's making Um, a cardiologist. Jeremy says his mentor is making eighty dollars to 100000 a month. On Instagram, somebody's ma- the man, 24, is making $300,000. Uh, Dalton Goody says he has made a million in one month, but he's not averaging a million a month. Okay, so we got, we got rate, you know, anywhere from zero, here's a hundred grand a month. Okay, so we got some people making millions a year, and some people, one person said big fat zero a year. Uh, that's (laughs) not close to a million. Now, we've all been there. Anybody who didn't inherit money has made big fat zero. Um, So, nothing to be ashamed of, but if you could cut the learning curve, as we said, between 12 to 20 years and these people taking 100 years, you do pretty good. My goal is, and this is what I want to make a realistic goal for you, if you currently are making nothing, um, how long should it take you to become a millionaire? I hope you can do it in 24 hours. I think the minimum realistic goal will be seven years on average. I'm not promising you seven years. I'm just saying, to me, if I lost all everything I was doing, sometimes that could happen to me. One day I might wake up. And I ain't driving Ferrari Lamborghini anymore. I'm driving a, you know, Prius or a L.A. Metropolitan bus. Right? That can happen to us all. I'm not that attached to money. If I lose it all, man, you got to start over. So if I had to start all over, I believe, even if I didn't know what I know now, that I could build it in seven years. Assuming I didn't get hit by a car, any major issues, okay? I think you can become a millionaire from scratch in seven years if life goes your way and you do everything right. That's the minimum to me. Now, that's average. I think some of you are gonna take 12 to 20 years. Some of you are gonna be able to do it in seven months. I I can't, you know, this isn't, these calls are not about predicting the future. Nobody who predicts the future. I don't think, the average person will do it in less than seven years. Now, how long does it take to get to financial independence? Well, that I've seen happen, for me, seven months. So, those of you know my story, 2001, broke as this guy wrote here, big fat zero. I had 47 bucks in my bank account, no car, all this. I was, Clayton, North Carolina, if any of you ever been to Clayton, it's a little town outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, I came back, I had lived with the Amish for two and a half years with no electricity. I had traveled the world trying to find mentors. I found some mentors, got some good advice, came back to America and had that advice but I hadn't put it in action. So I was broke, didn't have a place to stay and uh, was, ended up staying in a mobile home, sleeping on a couch. Now, at that point I literally had zero, this was in two, early 2000s, I had literally no money I don't even know if I had 47 bucks. I remember something like $47, that's why I said it, it might have been negative 47 for all I know. But, what happened was, as I began to use tools, I cut the learning curve, and literally seven months later, <clears throat> not seven years, okay, so seven years I think is the minimum you could count on from zero to be a millionaire. But. Number four principle is that financial independence, and for those of you already making good money, uh, there's a pyramid here, I'll show you. So if you're already making 100 grand a month, financial independence still, you have to go up to a prosperity level, because there's different levels of financial independence. There's basic financial independence, there's prosperity, and then there's wealth. Okay, so. Financial independence uh, principle was that it is possible, at least for me, at this point. It won't always be this, but it took me seven months, approximately, and I made a right around seventy grand um, from one company. I I don't remember. I should go back and try to calculate off my taxes and all that. But I made. Around, I remember seeing a, a 1099 for like 70-some thousand. And I had another business I had started. So I would guess that I roughly made a 100 grand, okay? So I went from zero to 100 grand. And it took me roughly a little over, it was a little less than a year and a little more than half a month. Something, I mean half a year, so something seven, eight months. So that was because I'd tried that before and hadn't been able to do it, but I had found ways to cut the learning curve. So what are those ways? Those are the next six things we're gonna talk about. How to cut the learning curve. Okay, is it possible? Yes. Is it possible to be a millionaire in a week? Probably not. Is it possible to be a a billionaire in a year? Probably not. Is it even a smart goal? Probably not. But financial independence, as fast as you can. Some of you are already in a ton of debt. You know, I I wasn't in a ton of debt. When I was sleeping on that couch, I luckily, I had no money, but I didn't have a huge amount of debt. I'd never went to college. So it wasn't, it was a little bit easier for me to dig myself out of the hole. Some of you, I got an email, I get 50, 100 email to 100 emails a day just about testimonials, I get thousands of emails, but I get 50 to 100 that are real interesting, and somebody wrote me this long thing about how they're 100, no, what are they, 300,000 in debt or something, and then now they can't, they got a kids and can't hardly feed them, it was a sad story. And so, you know, it can be a little harder for that person to get out. Now, here's the deal, it took me seven months. I don't know if that's statistically I could do that again, But I think I could, and I'll tell you how. The principles, the next six we're gonna talk about are the learning curve cutting principles. So yesterday, if you guys are on my Snapchat, you saw me watching some videos by a guy named Brian Tracy. Uh, You've probably heard of him before, he's a pretty famous speaker, public speaker. And he has a very fascinating principle that he talks about in his books. I was reading his book on negotiation, by the way. I'll try to talk to that a little bit later. I got a special bonus for some of you guys, too. There's more than these 10 principles. I'm going to record, I got a bonus that I'm going to give. I'm going to open up the accelerator in a little bit for those of you. And for the first 20 people getting the accelerator, I got something. I'm only going to give this to 20 people today. You'll see why a little bit later. But the number five thing that Brian Tracy was talking about, he says, They did this fascinating research. It was a Harvard professor that he studied under for 20 years. The principle was this. If you, okay, uh, if you change one thing about yourself, one thing about who you are, okay, one externality, what do you think it'll be and I'll give you some options. We'll do a guessing game. This is trivia. So here's the options to increase your your financial independence. So posture, the way you dress, uh, your vocabulary, or how many words you know, uh, the kind of car you drive, your handshake, your ability to do public speaking, your ability to look somebody in the eye and be confident, so that's seven things. Which of those seven things do you think is the most correlated with changing your income? So I said, what did I say first? Uh, I forget what I said. You know, change the way you, your posture, the way you dress, your car, public speaking, confidence, the way you shake hands, eye contact, vocabulary, car you drive. Somebody said posture. Confidence, confidence, communication, posture, confidence, vocabulary, confidence, confidence, eye contact. So we're getting a lot of confidence ones in public speaking. The way you shake hands, one person said, confidence. All right, I would say the win, most people here, the majority are saying confidence. Fascinatingly enough, the correct answer, according to Brian Tracy, was vocabulary, isn't that interesting? I would not have guessed that myself. So if you did not get it, don't feel bad. I didn't get it either. Tricked me too. Now, as I thought about it, though, I realized, yeah, that is that makes sense. It wasn't so weird once I thought about it. Let me switch to the side. I've got this tape on here, my microphone. So here's the deal. I don't actually think it's vocabulary. So I think it's kind of, once again, another trick question. So the, the question was, the one uh, area to improve, what is it? And according to this study by Brian Tracy, it was vocabulary. Now, I'm going to tell you what why I think this is. It's a trick question because I don't think you can just go out and memorize a whole bunch of dictionary terms. I don't think it would hurt you, but I don't think it's going to get you what you want. I don't think you can just increase your vocabulary. Everybody know what the difference between correlation and causation is? Causation correlation is often a mistake people make. They think just because something is correlated that it's the cause. So people go, just because it's correlated that people who are wealthy have a bigger vocabulary, it doesn't necessarily mean that the vocabulary is the cause. But, 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 here's how you go. Think about this. Somebody who knows 600 words about money. Or, a, you know, 600 words about life related to financial independence. And another person knows 10,000. Guess what? What's the main difference besides vocabulary? Is it just the vocabulary? In order to have a big vocabulary, what else do you have to have? Anybody? Yeah. There you go, my favorite word. You have to have the knowledge. It's not the vocabulary, that's the mask. If you lift up the mask, I'm gonna tell you what's underneath the mask. It's somebody who knows stuff. And so at the end of the day, I do this test now at every play conference I speak at. I call it my can I stump you test. And inevitably, I can stump everybody I spoke at one of the largest or you know, most prestigious universities here in LA uh, about a month ago. I spoke to their business school and I was like, man, I talked and I asked a question. There was four professors that came. They wanted to hear me speak, so they came from other areas and they couldn't follow what I was saying, which I thought was bizarre. I don't think I was so smart, I think they were too specialized you got to have a broad range of knowledge. So, when I started talking about stuff, they were like, "What does that mean?" When I started whether it be, you know, stock market terms, whether it be commodity price terms, they just had no idea when I when I talked about even things like return on tangible assets. How often growing up did you hear Uh, return on tangible assets. Did your parents or teachers ever go, you know what you really want to know in life? You need to know your return on tangible assets. Does anybody here know how to calculate return on tangible assets? Now, And why does it have the word tangible? What about just return on investment? That's ROI. You hear that a lot. Or you might hear return on on just assets in general. People have heard of return on investment, but do you know what the number one investor in the world cares about? R-O-T-A, this is a term. I bet you never heard it before. I never heard it growing up at all. Return on tangible assets. So the reason you use tangible assets, just for those of you who know about accounting, are various reasons. One of them is you don't want to necessarily look at goodwill because goodwill is an arbitrary number. So on an accounting balance sheet, you you will have something called goodwill. That's the value of the brand. So I was just looking at Verizon or something, and the value of the brand. I think they put it uh, twenty or forty billion dollars. I was looking at Willamina Models, which is a is a publicly traded company, they put, they put like a 10, 20 million dollar value on, on their asset, right? On your balance sheet, you have assets and liabilities. They put it as goodwill, but Warren Buffett doesn't want to know that. He wants to know the return on the tangible assets, so it's different than return on investment, okay? They're related, but not necessarily the same. So, we're not gonna talk about ROTA today, but my point is, if you knew what ROTA was, Don't you think that also you know a heck of a lot more? Don't you think there's probably going to come right along with that, an increase in your options or increase in your financial independence? Yes. So for all of you who are wondering what's the one area to improve, it's your vocabulary, but more importantly, it's the knowledge base behind it. It's the knowledge base. You got to know stuff. And I've never, and I've met wealthy people and now that I'm, you know, not a teenager or a kid anymore, I've met all kinds of them, all the way up from the top billionaires like Mark Cuban, all the way down to self-made millionaires that you've never heard of. I had a little uh, thing at my house the other day and I had, there's a girl here, she's probably, I don't know, 25, 28, she's making a million bucks a month as an entrepreneur. So you never heard of her. She makes lots of money, but I will tell you, I've never met one person who's self-made that doesn't know a lot of stuff and that doesn't know a lot of things that other people don't know. So if you don't know what others don't, then I'm going to show you principle number six. Number six you've heard of before, but not in this way. Rule number six of what I wish they'd taught us in school, and that self made millionaires know but no one else knows, okay, is that supply and demand is a beep bitch. A lot of people don't understand supply and demand. So what? Here's what most people do. Most people are here. Okay. Here's the world. In their understanding of the world, they're in the center of the world, and everything revolves around them. I guarantee you, you know some people like this, right? The, they think the world revolves. But we're all guilty of that. Every one of us. Now, what happens is. We think, we wake up one day, we have this little brilliant thought, light bulb comes on, Doom, light bulb. We don't want to be broke anymore. We want to achieve financial independence. So we have this wake up idea. So we go, okay world, it's not fair that we don't have it. Give it to us now. And there's a great saying by Charlie Munger. Uh, Charlie Munger says, To get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world's not yet a crazy enough place to reward a whole bunch of undeserving people. Think about that saying for a second. To get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world's not yet a crazy enough place to reward a whole bunch of undeserving people. Let me be clear, the world does reward some undeserving people, just not many. So you can think of an exception to the rule of some idiot you know who, who got everything they wanted in life. It just doesn't happen very often. There are people who win the lottery, just not many people. Now, somebody said the Kardashians. Oh, the Kardashians are smarter than you think, my friend, because you know their name. Just remember this. Don't ever laugh at some celebrity when you're saying their name, because you know their name. It ain't that easy to make the whole world know your name. So Chris Kardashian is smart. I don't know about all the kids, because I've met Chris Kardashian, the mom. Uh, but they're doing, they're making about $300 million a year. So be careful when you laugh at people making $300 million a year. A better thing to do is learn from them. Take the good and leave out the bad. So here's what happens. We forget about supply and demand. So in the supply, the re- this is our perception of our life. Let me show you the real perception of our life or the real way we should perceive our life. there's us. Just one person in a 7.3 billion uh, person planet. Here, there's just one. We are thinking about numero uno. But what happens when, now we all know reality-wise, right? There's 7.3 billion people that want to be successful they want to launch their business, they want financial independence for themselves, right? Just like you want it, just like I want it. So when you don't understand this and you're thinking like this is bad, way to think, and this is good, why? This one respects supply and demand. And it says this, we're owed nothing. What you want, you must pursue. Now, if you do it right, what you want will even pursue you back. But think of it this way. You wake up one day. You're a guy. You're, you want to get a girlfriend or get married. So you wake up and you go, all right, I want a girlfriend. And so you start going, hmm, who do I want to date? Now, if you think in this world right here, you'll be like every girl in the world. I'm the center of the world. Every girl in the world wants to date me. So you'll just... I was at a party once and uh, I was <laughs> waiting and, and it was me and... Um, uh, what's her name from Transformers? Megan, Megan Fox was there. She's a super beautiful girl. I was talking to her for... She was just there for a minute. And um, when I saw Megan Fox, I was like, she's pretty. And if I started thinking like this... I could've just been like, she's obviously gonna fall in love with me. No, supply and demand says, she has a demand, she wants a good guy, and there's a supply of 7.3 billion people. So I can't just walk up to her egocentrically and be like, yo, why don't I have your number? (laughs) Your number should be in my phone, put it in my phone. We're going out tomorrow, no. But a lot of people, as goofy as that sounds, that's how a lot of people are when it comes to finance. And you even see some of the things that people hear about making money, like visualizing and stuff. That's all good and dandy. I'm not against visualizing. I'm not totally against the secret. But you gotta be very careful about not being egocentric and just going, I'm gonna visualize that Megan Fox instantly is in love with me. I'm gonna visualize that that. My bank account is now full instead of empty. It's not that simple. I think visualizing is one component of a many part formula. So a better way to think about it, I call it the good way, is to understand when if I see Megan Fox that she's got 7.3 billion or I don't know if she likes women, but let's say there's 10 million potential men that... Likes her, or that would more. I mean, that there are candidates, right? She would like them back. And once you start thinking like that, all of a sudden you go, "Hmm, I better work out." Now, some people will tell you it doesn't matter your physical condition, whether people find you attractive or people shouldn't judge you by how you look. But this is a false statement. All of our DNA is coded that we want to be around health. It's not about beauty. It's about health. So every, I grew up on a farm for 10 years. There's not one, you know, these zoos like the San Diego zoo, when they bring in a rhinoceros female and they want to have rhinoceros babies, they bring a rhinoceros male. The woman rejects, the woman rejects him a lot of time. She doesn't find him quote unquote rhinoceros attractive. And uh, Dr. Helen Fisher who's one of the premier sociologists in the world, she said she studied 100 mammal species and there's not one species where the female will indiscriminately mate with, with a male. Not one. Every one, every species from duck, rhinoceros, you know, giraffe, and humans, they're picky. And another way of saying picky is supply and demand. Meaning they have other choices and so for you to make a million dollars or $50,000 or a billion dollars, think about this. A lot of people have to go, I'm going to give you my money. That is how McDonald's became a billion dollar restaurant. That is how Mark Zuckerberg built Facebook. That is how Jeff Bezos built Amazon. A lot of people, I think Amazon makes something like $80 million a day or something. I don't know if that's updated number, but Whatever. That means a lot of people who could be spending their money at Walmart, they could be spending their money at Brookstones, they could be spending their money at Kmart, they could be spending their money on other online retailers, they go, nope, we like Amazon. So guess what? Jeff Bezos, who's probably the most successful entrepreneur of our time of the last 10 years without a doubt, I mean, he's worth $42 billion and Amazon, Elon Musk... Um, I got to hang out a little bit before with Elon Musk. He's worth 13 billion, but not everybody drives a Tesla. Everybody uses Amazon. I would say Jeff Bezos is the number one Amazon uh, entrepreneur of our time. He did it because he understood that he, Jeff Bezos, and his little startup called Amazon. Remember, at the beginning, Amazon was almost bankrupt. He realized. That there's supply and demand. There's obviously demand. People want to buy stuff. And there's a lot of people willing to supply it. And if he didn't do it better than anybody else, he would never have any money. And so when you think about your life, what are you better than anybody else at? Or at least in the top 1% or 2%. Because if you can't think of anything, mark my words, you're going to struggle financially for the rest of your life. I promise you. It's supply and demand. Everybody remembers this. This is the most, this is macroeconomics 101. You go, they start out supply and demand. Humans have options, opportunity, cost. People realize if I buy on Amazon, I could be buying somewhere else. So I'm only going to buy on Amazon if it's better than anywhere else. So, which brings me, if you want to cut the learning curve, Understand this principle, the one to a hundred principle, and it's not what you've heard before. Here's what you've heard before in life. One to a hundred, how good you are at something. I don't care what it is, whatever you like to do. For some of you, it's art. For some of you, it's you know restaurants. For some of you, it's hotels. For some of you, it's fitness. For some of you, it's real estate and finance. For some of you, it's an app, a social networking app, acting, uh, you name it. I'm sure somebody on this call has it. But if you don't understand the one to a hundred principle, guess what? You're not going to make a place for yourself in the modern world. It won't happen. I will bet, unfortunately, against anybody who thinks that way. So think about this. What were you told in school? Most of us. I was told, hey, you know, work hard and do good and everything's gonna work out for you. Save your money, work hard, uh, go to college, all those things, right? Those are the basic things that we all learn. Now, is that what's happening? Are people who just work hard making the most money? No, go to any restaurant. The hardest worker there is the busboy, and they make the le- They may don't make as much as the restaurant owner who's probably sitting at home. So it's not just necessarily who works the hardest. Uh, if it comes down to, Save your money. Well, right now, if you save your money at the bank, you're getting half a percentage point, which doesn't even keep up with inflation. So saving money is good, but it's not the complete solution. Uh, Go to college. Well, go to college, work for some people. Some of you should definitely go to college. Doctors, lawyers, accountants. And some of you are just pure wasting your money. And I can't tell you who you are, it's not a one size fits all formula. Some people should go to college, some people shouldn't. That's a whole nother conversation. But I will tell you this, if you violate the rule of supply and demand and the rule of the one to 10 principle, you can go to college full time till you're 80. It's not gonna help you and here's why. All those things, save money, work hard, go to college, what they were trying to say is get Out of a one, this is an unskilled person. So a one is somebody who will never be employed. Nobody wants to hire an unskilled person. That's a one, okay? Now a 50, so here's a hundred. A 50 is just the average worker. So the average person in America makes something like 40 to 50 grand, okay? They're not broke, but they're not financially independent. They, uh, Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, says around 70 grand is when you become financially independent. So the average, the 50, so you got a whole bunch of unskilled people, they have zero money, no income, 50. Now what you've been told is you work hard and you'll become an 80, okay? Here's the problem with, with an 80. See if you work hard and go to college and save your money, you become an 80. Now the problem here was with, based on the principle number six is that with the law of supply and demand, at 80, how much do you make? And here's the sad thing. You only make like, let's say you make 69,000. You make right because of supply and demand and the wealthy getting wealthier and the, and the way that capitalism's working, it's moving how far and this is, represents your skill. So you have no skill here out of one here is you're the most skilled in the world, OK? At something. You're the number one neuro, uh, you're the number one brain surgeon. If you're the number one brain surgeon in the world, you're 100, you're going to be making lots of money. You're going to be making a million bucks a year, two million bucks a year. If you are, you know, a secretary at the hospital, you to be making forty or fifty thousand. So what happens now is when you're an eighty? The way that inflation is going, which means every day your money's worth less money, uh, it's worth less value. The way that the natural forces of, of outsourcing—just remember now—twenty years ago, your parents didn't really compete with people from India and China and in you know Africa and Indonesia and Malaysia and. Eastern Europe and Lithuania, Ukraine. But now, with the internet, there's now more people in the game and they can go everywhere in the world. You're competing with a 19 year old kid who lives in New Delhi or something like that. So, what happens is it's slid. At 80, when you're in 80, you're still not making even financial independence. So, let me focus in here. So what happens between 80 and 100 on this scale? Well, the people that you know of, that you hear of, right, are like 95s or above. So these are the, we'll call them the well-known. So when you, I don't know if Jeff Bezos is 100. I don't know if he'd consider himself that. But he's pretty dang close to 100. I think we'd all agree with that, right? Bill Gates... I don't know if he's a perfect 100, but he's above this 95. Warren Buffett, when it comes to investing and talking about investing and balance sheets and reading annual reports and understanding M and A and how to acquire a company and all these compensation plans, there's probably no one better in the world than him. When the U.S. economy crashed in 2008, who'd the president turn to? They didn't. They turned to Ben Bernanke and all these. Uh, head of the Federal Reserve, but they also called in Warren Buffett, just a private citizen, like, help us. So, he's probably a nine, I'd say Warren Buffett's a 99. I don't know if anybody can be a hundred, just like I don't think anybody's a one. So, my question to you is, if you're at an 80, you're making under. The real money comes when you become A 95 or above. Now, you might say, but Ty, how do I become a 95? How do you become a 95? Well, it's not as easy, it's not as hard as you think. You don't want to become a 95 and compete with Warren Buffett, but what if you could be a 95 in one teeny thing? What if you could be a 90? Somebody said, Ty, I'm from New Delhi, India. I'm that kid. Cool, there's somebody here from New Delhi. So, for each of you. What could you become super, super good at? I don't know if you'll be exactly a 95, but you can use this as a visualization tool. The 100 principle says, it used to be okay to be a 50 to 80 if you wanted to have financial options in your life. But now the game's changed, and you gotta be in this area. So, that leads me to principle number eight. Boom, here's principle number eight. In order, you guys notice how each of these builds on the next one? Right? All these secrets, they're, they perpetuate or they push the next secret forward. So number eight is the niche. We'll just call it the niche. Remember I said, what, what industry did I say makes the most Millionaires in the United States? Does anybody remember if you came in late? What is it? Dry cleaning. Is that a niche or is that broad? Are they trying to compete with Jeff Bezos? Are they trying to compete with Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg? No. They're just getting really good at opening their dry cleaning business, servicing the customer clothes correctly, cleaning them, and usually they expand and they get a handful of dry cleaning places. It's usually not one dry cleaning. They'll have a chain of you know, five. So undercover, there's people coming out there. They're learning niches. They're focusing down like a laser. Think about how light works. Here's light. Uh, most light is diffused. So right now I'll show you. If I take this and let me do this and I just turn, let me see if I have my little flashlight here. Does this have the flash? Who has a flashlight on their phone? Oh, swipe up? That's right. Here we go. So I got my flashlight on. Does everybody see that? It's not very strong. Anybody blinded by this? You know why you're not blinded? It's because the way this light is working, it's just diffusing out. Here's my phone. By the time it reaches here, it's so diffused, and it's obviously not a very strong light, but it gets diffused. What's there between that light and a laser? A laser is the opposite. All the diffused light gets, or all the light gets brought together into a focal point And base. It. it's like Star Wars. Who saw the new Star Wars? With the lightsabers. A laser is diffused, taking all that light and doing the opposite. Instead of one light diffusing, all that light being focused. And you know what? You can cut the most Uh, the hardest metal objects with a laser. And for your life, for each of you, wherever you are in this pyramid of wealth, and I'll talk about that in a second. Wherever you are in the pyramid of wealth, a niche is the focusing of your skills, your passions, your energies into one laser-like tool. And if you get that laser-like tool, working for you financially, you're gonna be able to cut through almost every obstacle. It might be the obstacle of where you live right now. You might live in a place with less opportunities. It might be your age. You might be old or young or you know, despondent. It might be your depression. It might be your procrastination. Some of you are procrastinating. Some of you can't find the motivation. Some of you are lost. You're like, I have no idea what to do. Some of you are already making money, but you're, you plateaued, you hit the ceiling, and you can't, you keep trying new things, but revenue stays the same, costs are creeping up on you, marketing's not working as well as it once worked, there's more competition. So for you existing entrepreneurs, the laser must cut. And you get that laser cutting for you, and I'm telling you, the simplest light in the world can cut through the hardest steel. So it will work every time The problem is right here, collecting the energy this is actually looks like Star Wars or the Death Star or whatever collects all the light and then destroys the planet with one and that what that was in the new one too. so number nine you haven't seen it yet? You guys haven't seen I got all these film guys who haven't seen it yet, so number nine here, I'm going to show you something. There is a pyramid of laser-like focus. Okay? And it goes beyond just the niche. It's your goal, how you set your goals. So here's how most people set their goals. So we got the five... Areas, actually let's draw this a little bigger to get more space. Okay, so right down here, you have what I call Donald Trump debt. At one point, and let's forget politics, I'm not really a Donald Trump supporter, or I'm not that political, but Donald Trump, there's a cool story, He, he didn't pay attention to his business and he got $9 billion in debt and then most people commit suicide at nine billion, but he was in debt, okay, so this is level one, debt. So that's when you're below zero, below zero. Who here is in the debt area who has no money? This is not Maslow's hierarchy. All right, the next one is what I call scarcity. Number 2. This is where you have under $70,000 a year. Scarcity. That means you're always struggling. Now, what's above that? As I was talking about, when you make let's say 120 grand a year to 70 grand, this level 3 is called independence. This is starting to get good. One, two, three. These two you don't want to be at. You don't want to have scarcity. You don't want to have too much debt. There's good debt and bad debt, but I'm talking about bad debt. Now, number four here is what I call prosperity. This is where not only are you making a hundred, this is basically anything under a million. Level four. So you're making between a hundred and a million. You're now prosperity. Not only are you independent, but you I remember when I got, you know, went through these different levels. The final level is what I call wealth and impact. So it's not just money, but you have so much money you can actually alter the, the path of the world. So you could be like Bill Gates, who's getting rid of smallpox and you know, helping AIDS orphans and changing the course of literally tens of millions of starving people's lives and stuff, with his charity, the Bill Gates uh, Gates Foundation. So this is the final potential, wealth and impact. This is where you're above a million. Now, going back to the laser-like focus, the laser, okay? What I find most people do, pick your, what number are you at? Let's just put the number. Who's here, say one, two, three, four, five. Let's see our numbers. I'm gonna show you a tool of laser-like focus So we got people at number two, two, two. Wait for Meerkat to catch up here. I'm at a one. We've got a four, more twos, a three and a half, so almost a four. Okay. A one, a three, a three, almost a four. A three, a one, a two. Again, one, two, three, four, five. Where are you? Got lots of twos. I've got three and a half, a one to two. I'm a three, but I, you say you're, but you feel like a two. Now, I'll show you something. I've been through these different levels. I remember being in debt. I remember being scarce, having scarcity. Luckily, I never had Donald Trump level of debt. I never had billions in debt, but I have had debt, scarcity. I remember this. I bought an online program that showed me uh, showed me how to make more money, it was an online marketing one by Corey Rudel, and that one showed me, and I made uh, roughly 70 grand, 70 to 100, so I went over independence, I remember this, it was the first time I could afford going on a trip. I went to Puerto Rico for the salsa dancing conference. I had enough money, I couldn't believe it. That was when I knew I was here. Prosperity, you know, when you make over a hundred, between a hundred and a million, you start actually being able to, when you got an idea, you got enough money to fund it, you start to be able to get employees, people helping you. You're not doing everything yourself. You know, you really get a lot of options. And then if you can cross over and make a million bucks a year, And you, you know, whether it's gross or net, I'm just that doesn't matter. But for the sake of this conversation, once you start seeing seven figures go through your bank account, whether it be business or personal, it really you realize, wow, now I can really do the stuff that I want to do. Now I can, you can really start helping charity too. You know, somebody says there is another step between 100 and 250. Yeah, but I mean, I, I lump all that for now. We can just call it prosperity. <coughs> now, here's where people go wrong. I've gone wrong, and I bet you've gone wrong. Here's what's wrong, don't do this. I think i can get a little further away there. Here's where you're gonna get in trouble. Some of you are a three and you're gonna to try to go to a five. This is the violation of the niche and laser-like focus principle. You can't focus that far out. If you're a one, why are you focusing on making a million dollars? You should be focused on getting out of debt and getting at least into the scarcity mode. Scarcity's better than nothing. And if you're in the scarcity mode, why are you trying to make prosperity? Why aren't you just trying to get to independence? There's a great, Talk, an interview with Forbes, Steve Forbes, Jay-Z, and Warren Buffett. They're all sitting in a room. Uh, Sounds like a joke. (laughs) There's a joke. There's three guys sitting in a room. Steve Forbes, Warren Buffett, and Jay-Z. And you know what they said? No. Uh, But it's fascinating talk. You can find it on uh, YouTube. And what they asked for advice, Warren Buffett's advice, Jay-Z was asking him. And he said, you know what? my mentor and his mentor is a guy named Benjamin Graham taught him most people in life they're playing baseball and they don't have laser like focus and go let me just hit the ball and get to first base or if you like soccer for those of you not in the US if you're the goalie do you try to score? if you were the goalie and you tried to score every time they would kill you that's, what, that's how serious people take soccer. So if you're a goalie and you go, you yeah, just every time I get the ball, I'm going to kick it as hard as I can and try to score. That's not laser-like focus. Laser-like focus is, I'm the goalie. I'm going to get the ball to, you know, the mid, whatever. And then midfielders are going to get it to the forwards. And then the forwards are going to work together and score. That's how you play soccer. If you're in baseball, get a what Warren Buffett, his exact words are, get a whole bunch of first base, uh, a whole bunch of base hits. Just boom. And he says, if you get enough base hits, you score a lot of runs. So if you just go from here to here, one step with laser-like focus, and then here to here, and then here to here, and then here to here, not only, and I'm going to tell you this, I this is advice I didn't take, because as I got in my 20s, I did meet, some self-made millionaires. And they were my mentors, guys like Alan Nation, guys like Dr. Gordon Hazard, Gary Townsend, Mike Murphy. And one of the things that Alan Nation told me, he said, Ty, listen to me. Be careful of trying to make too much money too fast. It'll trap you. You'll be unhappy. You'll make mistakes. It'll be very stressful. And yes, if for those of you wanting to go from Donald Trump debt to making a million bucks in 2016, let me tell you why you don't want to do with that. The average person who wins the lottery loses it all in two years because they don't yet understand about money. So you don't want to, it's kind of like I had a, I know this guy, I won't say his name because it will hurt his feelings, but there's a guy here that I know in California, in Southern California, he's the worst guy with women known to mankind. I'm telling you that, I'm telling him without being rude to him, he's bad, okay? And the reason I say he's bad is because I'm pretty sure he's never had a second date and he's like, you know, in his 30s or 40s. Girls will go out with him one time, no girl ever goes, actually, I take that back. He actually had a girlfriend. In 20 years of knowing this dude or 10 years of knowing this guy, I never saw him with a girlfriend except one time. He finally got a girlfriend. But this dude was bad, okay? And I told him, I said, we'll call him Mr. X. I said, Mr. X, there was this girl, we were out, and she was cute. Not amazing, but cute. And I said, why don't, and she liked him. And I said, why don't you go out on a date with her? And he, this is what he said. He said, no, she's not pretty enough. And I was thinking, bro, you are down here at the debt level of dating. And seriously, he only wanted the highest level in the pyramid. And I said, why don't you learn how to get a cute girl to go on a second date with you? Do well. I mean, this guy was bad. Everything I've, I've been around him when he was with girls. It's the most painful thing you ever see. And on top of that, like his car is all nasty. Any girl he's ever picked up. I actually had another friend, I won't say, this is funny. Uh, I do this guy in Miami and I, so I was in Miami um, and he let me stay at his place. And this is not Zach by the way, Zach's not that bad. <laughs> it's not. No, no it's, it's actually not Zach, neither of these, no Zach's not that bad with women. Uh, that could be charming. No, this dude's bad. Like he's almost like you could make a movie about him. But I went and stayed in Miami and he let me stay at his place. So I went to the place. He was out of the country and I spent the night there. And the first night I woke up and I was like itching. And I'm like, what the heck? Did I get bit by mosquitoes? All the windows were closed. Then this dude had bed bugs in his in his house. That's what I finally found. I like looked at the sheets and there was bugs going around them. And I'm going, what? And so I started looking around the house and I'm like, this place is dirty. It kind of looked clean from the outside, but like if you pick something up, it was like dust. And so I hired a maid to come. The maids came. It took two maids two days to clean a teeny apartment. And I came back while they were cleaning and they had a load of where they were like sweeping up the dust. It was this high. I've never seen a mound of dirt that high. They had moved the furniture. So when this guy came back in town, I was like, dude, thanks for letting me stay at your place, but I want you to know, it was messy, man. I had to, this place is nasty, and I I said to him, I said, I don't think if you ever have a date come to your place, I don't think this is good. And you know, it's funny, he texted me the next day, he goes, you know what, maybe you're right. I meet all these girls that like me. We go out for a while. The first time they come, come to my place, they never call me back again. And he couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> so I said, dude, they probably go in the bathroom. They're so disgusted, they you know never go back. So the point was for this guy, and this is a dude, by the way, who only wanted to date like supermodels. I was like, why don't you just laser-like focus, clean the room, basic. Clean up, that's right here, just clean. Get out of debt, so to speak, and move up to here. And that's gonna get you a second date, man. You can't just always have second dates. And then boom, move up and up. And the next thing you do, you know you're marrying the girl of your dreams or dating the girl, woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams. And when it comes to money, the amount of scattered thinking is so insane if you talk to your friends who don't like where they are financially, I promise you that no, if you listen to them, just take them out to dinner, just test this. 20 minutes, let them just talk about life. And what, so when they start saying, yeah, my business isn't doing as well, or I hate my job, or I'm not able to pay the bills, what do I need to do next? Just ask them, well what do you think you should do? And I'm gonna tell you what's gonna start happening. They're gonna be like this right here. They are going to be like this light on my phone. Oops. There you go. The light is just gonna diffuse out in such a scattered way that you'll realize that this is never gonna cut through like a laser to the real solutions that they need. So for each of you, I want you to start thinking laser-like focused. If you're making $50,000 a year, it's scarcity. Just focus on financial independence. Forget the news, forget MSNBC, forget Entrepreneur Magazine. All those are good, but forget the articles showing you the people making $100 million. Forget the people showing you making the next Mark Zuckerberg. Why would you want to become the next Mark Zuckerberg? Why don't you just buy a whole bunch of lottery tickets? When I was 10, I was going through the aisle at a grocery store in San Diego, and I told my grandma, let's buy one more ticket. We bought one more lottery ticket, one dollar. And I remember scratching it off, and the extra ticket I told her to buy, we won a hundred bucks. And I remember that was the most money I'd ever seen because my allowance was a dollar a week back then. My mom used to pay me for doing chores. So I'd make 50 bucks a year or something. And maybe on my birthday, I would get a little more money. So I had a hundred dollars now, at one time. It was the most money I'd ever had. And so immediately, what did I do? I went and bought a bicycle because, um, like I said, my mom, she was actually married to my stepdad at this time, but they were busy. They both worked and I had to walk to school and it was pretty far up a hill. So I was like, I'm going to get a bicycle, then I could ride around the hill and it won't be so bad. So I took the hundred bucks, I bought a bicycle. It was a mountain bike, like a Huffy or something like that. And then, interestingly enough, it got stolen within one week. I remember being like, damn it. But then I was the first way I learned easy come, easy go. So I lost it. But I thought I was smart. So Christmas came. And I said, my my mom said, Ty, they used to tell me they have $200 they could spend on me for Christmas. That was growing up they always would tell me that we got 2 I think later they made a little more money it was $300 maybe 400 they never spend more than 2 or 300 bucks but so I, I said they said what do you want they used to give me a choice and I said I want $200 and $1 lottery tickets please that cuz I just had this good experiment experience so she got me that 200 she gave me 200 lottery tickets I remember and so I will can I have those that food So it was Christmas time, I got this $200 uh, worth of tickets, and I remember scratching them off. And after like 10 tickets, I remember going, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going so well, because I hadn't won anything yet. Boom, scratched. I scratched through all 200 tickets. I don't even think I made 20 bucks. And I remember thinking, it was funny, I remember thinking this would have got me a whole bunch of toys, and now all I have is $20.00. To go by, you know, because my plan was all very simple. I'm gonna get $200 worth of tickets. You know, five of them are gonna, or five or ten of them are gonna win 100 bucks. Instead of me only getting 200 bucks, I'm now gonna have a thousand bucks, and I'm gonna go making money. So, you know, blah. We know how that works, and that's what happens. That analogy is mo- what most people do. They see some lottery ticket result. They see the fact that. This guy started a social network and he made a lot of money fast, so they go, I'm going to make an app. I'm going to make, it doesn't, but it doesn't work out for them because they're like I, I was when I was doing Christmas. I was leaping around for stuff instead of what? Building the foundation. And if you go back to the earliest principles that I gave, what really cuts through stuff is a base of knowledge. Remember we said vocabulary, Brian Tracy says. What is the most correlated, or you could say causative, factor that you can change in your life is your vocabulary about financial subjects. But it's not the vocabulary. You can't just memorize the word return on tangible assets. Where did this come from? Uh, Chef made it for the staff. Okay. Give me one second, guys. I need a little recharge. A little wrap recharge. Um, not supposed to eat with your mouth open, right? Isn't that what they say? What? You're not supposed to do either one. Alright, so. Oh, okay. The knowledge base of the vocabulary. You got to back it up. Supply and demand, you will not make a lot of money without laser light focus and a step by step plan. So here's the options. Number 10 here. In the 10 things I wish people had taught me. Number 10. What's your strategy? Does everybody agree that the knowledge base you're working with is what is most likely? Knowledge base and focus is what's going to change your life around financially. I hope everybody agrees with that, right? You got to know stuff. Jeff Bezos, if you sat in a room with him and started talking about Amazon, he's not going to be like, well, I don't know much about the business, I just leave it all to my you know, COO or my personal assistant. No, he's going to know everything about the business. When you talk to Warren Buffett, Buffett about investing, he's not going to be like, well, I just, use, I just use the stock recommendations and I just use the basic tools that are on TD Ameritrade and that's why I have $70 billion. No, he knows all kinds of stuff. What's your strategy? This is my question for you right now. And let me sample. What, is some, what are some of your guys' strategy right now? Specifically, what are you going to do to change your and move up the financial pyramid in 2016? What's somebody's plan? What's your strategy? Real estate. Targeting certain people. Finish your degree. Marry a rich girl. I actually have a friend. That was his only plan. Marry a rich girl. And he actually married a girl that's kind of rich, but then she thought he was rich So when she married him, she stopped working. She was a doctor, so now they're both poor together. So that wasn't a great plan for him. They both thought they were getting something they didn't get. Somebody's plan is making strategies making real estate videos, niche and high-risk loans for realtors, understand the important, uh, make a basic app and improve it over time, learning accounting, improve marketing, promote your gaming app, focus on internet marketing, staying positive, Joining 67 Steps, getting hired after your IT, social media business, making an app. Okay. I think it was Benjamin, it was either Thomas Edison or Benjamin Franklin was asked the most important thing that anybody can have, uh, the most important tool. You know what he said, the most important tool? And the most rare tool in the world is clear thinking. Clear thinking. You gotta have clear thinking. That means That's why I say strategy, not a plan. You gotta be able to think through what's gonna go wrong. You have to be able to invert it. You gotta be like an army general. And good army generals have lots of tools. They understand how to flank. They understand how to manage and motivate troops. They understand every area of the business. They understand artillery and air, and they understand ordnance And all of those things, and that's what makes them a good general, and they bring them all together. And so, the most powerful thing for each of you going forward, what your real strategy should be, is to, I call it A&E, not the TV show, to accumulate and execute, But to accumulate and execute what? Well, your strategy. But where does the strategy come from? This is the hard part. The strategy comes from, and this is the bonus point, one of the bonuses I'm going to give you. Memorize this word. base. Why do I put periods? Because it makes it look cooler. And it's easier for me to memorize it. Base. B. A. I'll think of some acronym. Better. I don't know. What's an A? Beyond all strategic execution or something. There you go. Yeah. Beyond. That's what we'll, we'll just make it up right here. Beyond. I just think of it as base. So what's No, no, but beyond all strategy. Oh no, I know, behind all strategy and execution. So some of you are already executing, I promise you. I know, some of you are not lazy. You have no problems with procrastination. You do stuff, boom. You're doing, you're a doer, you've always been action taker, okay. Some of you are good at strategizing. You have a huge whiteboard. You have a 50-page stack. You've talked about your plan and your strategy to a trillion people. You've narrowed it down. You've got Excel spreadsheets. You're the perfect, perfect entrepreneur. But where people mess up the most is what needs to be behind the strategy and execution. So you ever play that game Jenga? You know Jenga is like a whole bunch of blocks and you have to pull them out and it and you know if you pull them out then the whoever pulls it out and the and it falls loses okay you might have seen that you like pull the blocks out what you learn with that game is if you don't have if people pull too much out of the foundation then it doesn't matter what's up here it all tips over so the most powerful thing and most people don't realize this I, one of my first investors and mentors, uh, not first, but mentor later in life, he builds skyscrapers, huge ones. He makes 50 to $100 million sometimes on these huge office buildings. Uh, he's done them in different states in the United States. And when you build, people don't realize. Here in LA, when they build, they're getting ready right on Sunset Boulevard to build a really tall building. You know what they do? They dig down so deep, it's crazy. It's like this huge hole. The W Hotel in LA. It's on, uh, uh it's on Vine and Hollywood Boulevard. They, I used to live on on in a place called the uh, Broadway. That's what it's called. And right across, they were building it. I remember walking over to the W Hotel and looking, and I'm like, dude, this is huge hole. And it was really not a hole. it was the foundation. And so, behind all your strategy, behind your business plan, behind your idea, behind your activity, that's another way to say these. How big's your foundation? Because I promise you, you don't build the foundation right. This thing is going to fall over and it's actually worse For some of you that are really good at getting stuff done, you're building a nightmare for yourself. You know why? Because you're really good at building something with no foundation. And the bigger and the taller you build it with no foundation, when it falls down, it's a catastrophe. And I always tell this story about my friend in LA who uh, made all this money. He sold a company before he was 30 years old for 18 million dollars. I see him now at Laker games once in a while. We're just acquaintances, never super close friends, but he now is back to a day job. He took that 18 million dollars, he built a media company, he sold it, I think he was a little under 30, so 28, 29, cashed in 18 million bucks. He paid his taxes, he probably was left 12 million dollars, and he lost it all. You know why? He didn't do anything, like he didn't spend it on cocaine or anything like that. He started investing in real estate and this and that, and guess what? He didn't have a base and a foundation, and he lost it all. So it's worse to have never had. I mean, it's worse to have made a lot of money and lost it all than to never have money before. <laughs> if you never have money, you don't know what you're missing out on. If you've always drove driven a uh, Honda Civic, you don't know what a Maserati or a Ferrari's like. So you're good. You're enjoying your car. I drove a Bugatti last year, a couple months ago. Now it is last year, a couple day, days from last year. I drove a Bugatti and the CEO of Bugatti, he used to be the CEO of Ferrari. Um, I drove the Ferrari there and he, the 458, and he goes, You sure you want to drive a Bugatti? It was a test drive. And I'm like, Yeah, of course. And he goes, You sure? I said, Yeah, why do he say that? He said, Well, I was the CEO of Ferrari America for 10 years, and now I'm the CEO of Bugatti. And everybody who drives a Ferrari and now drives a Bugatti, they never like their Ferrari again. And I remember thinking, that's impossible. This Ferrari has almost 600 horsepower. It's a mean machine. And I drove that Bugatti and I came back and I got in the Ferrari and I put the top down and I started driving and I remember my first thought. I didn't even remember what the CEO told me. I remember thinking, what's wrong with this? Something's wrong. That, by the way, in the psychological biases is called the contrast bias. My contrasts were all messed up. I'm like, wow, this car's so slow. It only has 600 horsepower. The Bugatti had the one that I drove had 1,200 horsepower. It was a souped-up one. So, if you get really good at doing stuff and you start moving up the triangle, I mean up the pyramid, and you go out of debt, but you go too quickly, you're not an eight. You're you're an eighty. You don't understand supply and demand. You're not a ninety-five to hundred. You haven't built. The base that's behind all your strategy and execution, you will fail nine times out of ten. You'll be like my friend who made eighteen billion bucks then has nothing. Build your base and build it so deep that when the storm comes, your building is the only one still standing there's a there's a quote um, a parable in the Bible that says, uh, Jesus Christ said something like, you know, there's two men, one built his house on the sand and one built it on the rock and it said, and when the storm and the wind came, the house that was built on the sand washed away. And the person who built on the rock, it said, no matter how strong the storm was, no matter how strong the water and the wind was, it was still there. It might've got damaged. You might get battered, but you will survive. And you will thrive. Somebody said, Ty, is failure part of success? Yeah, there's different kinds of failure. If you build your house on the sand and you fail, the thing washes away and you're dead and you never recover. There's a myth about failure. You want to fail, but not too much. As Professor Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, says in his book, The Selfish Gene. He's the Oxford or Cambridge professor. Which school did he teach at? Oxford or Cambridge? You know, Richard Dawkins says the problem with trial and error is that trial is deadly often, and error costs a lot of time. So, what you want to do is build your base wide enough that, yes, adversity will come. One thing I thought interesting, and I was reading a book yesterday, and it said, on average, crisis comes every three months in your life. Every 90 days, expect some kind of crisis. It could be a family illness. It could be your own illness. It could be a job situation. It could be boyfriend or a girlfriend betraying you. Like It can be all kinds of stuff. So when the base is broad enough, you just survive them all. Boom, 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 boom. You just keep rolling. Now, so my real question for each of you is what's your strategy to build your base? This is the real question of the hour.